Hi, Emerge Church. Welcome to our online gathering. Thank you so much for joining us today. We're kicking off our five-week series on Jesus Teaches, taking a look at some of the key stories they are just recounting what He wants to teach us about Him, about the kingdom, and about being His disciples. You see, Jesus came to show us His love and to give us a glimpse into His heart. Today, we'll take a look at what He teaches about on discipleship from His Sermon on the Mount. I don't know about you guys, but I'm just ready to be completely disconnected from this digital world right now. These devices in our hands have such a strong pull just for our attention that it just becomes overwhelming. If you let it take control of you, it'll hold you. You can get sucked into this overwhelming overflow of news and negativity and of nagging. We can easily become trapped by this. It's just a constant pull for our attention. I'll find myself sucked into this weird digital vortex. When I open up my phone, up to just send out a text. Somehow I end up on Facebook, then I end up on Instagram, oh, and then Safari, and then I go back to thinking, um, why did I pick up my phone? <laughs> so now just don't take too much offense to from this statement that I'm going to give you here, but I just want you to really think about it. Does the Bible have this much of a pull on your life? Does your prayer and praise time have this much of a pull on you? I'm reminded of stories of Mary, or of the story of Mary and Martha, when Jesus was in their home, how Martha was just running around doing all these tasks and was just distracted. Then Jesus said to her, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. You see, Jesus is waiting for us to give him our full attention. He's patiently waiting for us. Maybe there's too much going on around you just right now. Then just hit pause. Come back to this later. That's the beauty of technology. It's always there when you are ready to come back to it. And that's the beautiful thing about Jesus. He's sitting back and waiting for us to come to him. He's not mad at us. He understands, but man, he sure does want us fully. So let's take steps to get closer to him by taking time to worship him right now. Hey guys, welcome back um, to Emerge. We're so glad you're here and hope you had a good weekend last week. Um, so Pastor Kurt's talking this week about discipleship. And I've been thinking about that and just kind of tying that into what has been on my heart lately. Um, I just really feel like we can't completely, like, just completely the way we're supposed to make disciples of people until we know who we are in Christ. And that's something that God's been dealing with me on, um, especially this week. So, you know, for, for all my Enneagram lovers, I'm a type nine, I'm a peacemaker. I like everything to be just harmonious all the time and God has been bringing something out in me um the past couple of weeks like you know Lori be brave use your voice and I'm just like Lord you know that's not that's not who I am um that's so unnatural for me and God just has been speaking to me like daughter you are who I say you are 
you know, go be who I told you to be and I will give you the strength to do that. Um, so that's something that I've been wrestling with is just trying to become who he wants me to be and who he sees in me. You know, he, he sees so much more in us than we see in ourselves. And, um, sometimes also, you know, in others, he's, he sees what we can't see. And so sometimes it's hard to believe that we are what he sees in us. Um, but the fact remains that, you know, he has plans for us and he wants to use us. And just uh, my prayer for myself and for all of you is that we would let him make us who he wants us to be and who he created us to be, even when it's hard, um, so that we can reach others in the way that he wants us to. So this song has been on my heart all week, so we are going to sing it.
Thank you so much for leading and worship today, Lori. I so greatly appreciate it. Hey, I'm here in a local park in Fishers, Indiana on this beautiful morning. And it's just reminding me of just how I envision God, uh, or Jesus, being out there teaching his disciples and enjoying the beauty of the nature and going up into mountains and just seeing this landscape around me. It's so beautiful, so peaceful, so serene. All right, as I mentioned earlier, we're starting off on our five-week series of Jesus Teaches. Today, we're going to talk about being a disciple. We've covered a little bit of this in the past when we defined the disciples versus the apostles. Do you remember? Well, the 12 disciples were ultimately given the title of apostles. The meaning of apostle is to be sent because they were being sent out to do kingdom work. The term disciple was used in multiple ways to describe the apostles and the followers of Jesus. So we'll focus in on discipleship and what it looks like being his followers. You'll often hear me say that we want you to be discipling others here at Emerge Church. So what does that mean? Well, it means we want you to teach, to train, and to lead others into a relationship with Jesus. We want you to be the spiritual leaders in your family and for your kids. I want you to take others alongside of you in your journey too. Help them to grow in their knowledge of Jesus and to trust Him more in their daily lives. One of the great handicaps of Christianity today is that there are so many believers in Jesus, but so few disciples. Many of you don't even know that there is a difference. A believer is someone who has believed in Jesus Christ alone for eternal life. A disciple, on the other hand, is someone who is a devoted student and follower of Christ. It is possible to be a believer, but not be a disciple. It is equally possible to be a disciple, but not a believer. So let's take a top-line view of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5-7 through and see how Jesus lays out how we are to be His disciples. How we are called to be a cut above the rest, but not to look down on those that aren't at the same level as us. While the Sermon on the Mount covers three chapters, you can find unity in all these many sermons that are put together with a major theme of discipleship. There are three themes that are covered, and the first is found in the description 
of the characteristics of a life influenced by Jesus. It's laid out in Matthew 5, 3 through 16. And secondly, in Matthew 5, 17 through 7, you can see a description of the overall conduct of the Christian life. And thirdly, in Matthew 7, you can see where it speaks to and challenges us to examine our response to these words of Jesus. And reading through these chapters, you could view it as law or the law. Just think of the Pharisees. They lived under law or the Old Testament. They loved to list out and live to each of those terms. As I've mentioned before, the Pharisees had 39 laws that pertain to righteous living. And underneath those 39, there's many, many subsets with their meanings for them to understand and to observe. Contrast that with what we see here in the New Testament with Jesus. Jesus does not destroy the law. He simply unfolds and interprets the law so that its fullest meaning is understood. You see, the law points to Jesus and is completed in him. The Sermon on the Mount portrays what life is like when it's ruled by Jesus. He is the source for living this kind of life. The sermon begins with a radical nature of repentance and closes with a radical submission to Jesus' authority. The Sermon on the Mount is not the law, but it's the gospel. Within these three chapters of Matthew, chapters 5 through 7, you can learn so much more about Jesus. You can see that the inf what the influence of a Christian life is emphasized by two metaphors of salt and light. As salt, the community of believers has a saving or preserving seasoning of influence to all around them. To be his salt, we can't be too salty. Think about it as if you were cooking. A little bit of salt is okay. Too much salt? Well, just can't be undone. You can't overcompensate for too much salt, and that's how it is with us. If we are too salty with those around us that don't know Jesus, they will have a bad taste in their mouth. Let's give them a little, close, little dose, a little shake of Jesus in our interactions. Not to be unapologetic about being a Christian and Christ follower, but to be sensitive to all around us. Let me give you an example. We had a family over for dinner the other night. We're all filling plates and getting the kids situated. The kids sit down, they start eating while the adults are just moving around, trying to get our plates filled and sitting down. And our friends started to eat. And then all of a sudden they realized they needed to wait on Emily and I as we were sitting down. I was casually watching this, feeling it all out. This family knows that we're starting a church and that we pray. I could see that they had this bit of an uneasiness, some wonderment, some tension. And I imagine they were thinking, um, should we just keep eating or should we wait on them? Maybe they're going to pray. You know, I could have just stopped us all right there and prayed. However, as I was watching it all play out, I decided that I would just sit right down and start eating. That slight tension that was there, it dropped and they all joined in to eat. You see, it was an opportunity to keep it all lightly seasoned and truly enjoy the time together in fellowship and food. So we talked about the salt part. Now let's take a look at the light. On the light side, it's a church that shines, that it's a witness and penetrates the darkness all around us. The spiritual condition of society is described often by the metaphor of darkness. Jesus is the opposite. He is the light of the world. The church in ourselves should reflect the light just as the moon reflects the sun. All right, on through the Sermon of the Mount. You can see where Jesus covers topics of murder, 
adultery, divorce, love for enemies, prayer and fasting. Do not worry. Boy, do we ever need that these days. Do not worry. Do not judge that too. I could go on and on, spend a significant amount of time covering all the details and could list out more of them as well. You should take time this week to read Matthew 5 through 7. It covers so many great topics. I'm going to jump right into the Beatitudes. And why on the Beatitudes? Well, the Sermon on the Mount starts off with them. Did you know that in the New Testament, it contains 37 Beatitudes? Of those 37, 17 of them are sayings of Jesus. All right, let's pray and then we'll open up to Matthew chapter 5 and we'll read verse 1 through 12. So Father, thank you for this opportunity to worship you, to trust you, to see you, to know you, and to read your word. So God, as we open up your word, as we learn more, God, reveal some truths. Let us see you in a different way. Let us come closer to you. God, quiet our hearts and our minds. Let us focus in on you and let your words just be spoken over us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let's open up the word. Let's read it. Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 1. It says, Now when he saw the crowds, and by he, that would be Jesus, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. All right, let's go back through a few of these verses. And first of all, let's just look at verse number one. It says, seeing the multitudes, he went up onto the mountain. Mountains are often places of encounter with God. One of the most obvious for me to recall is Moses at Mount Sinai. You see, the book of Matthew includes a great deal of Moses references in this gospel. And he thoroughly regards Jesus as greater than Moses. See, I came across the list of these similarities in both Moses and Jesus and wanted to share these points with you. You can see the similarity in the stories of Moses and Jesus as they are both threatened in infancy by the edict of a wicked ruler. You can see that they are both rejected by their own people. You can see how they are both, they both come out of Egypt. You can see how they are both tested in the wilderness. Moses for years, Jesus for days. You can see how they both go up on the mountain. You can see how they are confronted with the sins, the deficiencies of their followers when they come down from the mountain, when Jesus asked them to pray. See, when you see and think about these details that I laid out, 
it's pretty amazing to see how congruent the entire Bible is and how it all points back to God. So going on, these Beatitudes, they describe the characteristics of the disciples of Jesus. These are the attitudes of kingdom citizens. Opposing attitudes, however, are expressed by the scribes or the Pharisees, who interpret God's law and practice it for their own personal advantage. In the Beatitudes, Jesus stands our world on its head. We believe in personal pride. Jesus blesses the poverty of spirit. We seek pleasure. Jesus blesses those who mourn. We see the prosperity of aggressive people. Jesus blesses the meek. We love good food and drink, and Jesus blesses those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Reading this section in Greek, you can see that each beatitude begins with the Greek word makarios, which is usually translated to as blessed or happy. Blessed is preferable because of its religious connotations. Blessedness is a gift of God. We use happy more broadly, often in ways that contradict the Beatitudes, and ways that just celebrate our own power or the satisfaction of our own appetites. So in the original language, the R is missing. For example, a literal translation of the first Beatitude reads, Blessed the poor in spirit giving it the emphasis and feeling of, oh, the blessedness of the poor in spirit. The Beatitudes are the best attitudes. Note, I did not say they are the bad attitudes. When you read through this list, it could sit on you kind of heavy. It could rub you in the wrong way. You know, if you look at it on the top line, you could just be reading this scripture and thinking, man, if I become a Christ follower, I have to do this. I have to become the least of these in all ways. I have to give it all up. That's a good reason to have a bad attitude if you're reading it that way. And then you could start feeling bad because you have a bad attitude about God's Word. We all know that a bad attitude does not change by someone just telling us, change your attitude. Nope, nope, it takes time. It takes understanding and it takes grace. These Beatitudes show the characteristics that are the direct result of God's grace. So let's take a, look, a closer look at these Beatitudes. The first four Beatitudes, poor in spirit, mourn, meek, and hunger and thirst for righteousness, they describe the heart of the person who is rightly related to God. The remaining Beatitudes, merciful, pure in heart, peacemaker, and the persecuted, they describe how such a person relates to other people. The first beatitude in verse 3 emphasizes spiritual poverty. The Pharisees looked at themselves as deserving divine approval. However, as the citizen of the kingdom, we should have no such view. We make an honest assessment of our own spiritual condition and declare bankruptcy. Our trust is outside of ourselves and our own resources. The second beatitude in verse 4 it reveals the deep concern and mourning over sin, but also the grief caused by the various circumstances of life. You can see in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10, where we need to forgive, and it says, Anyone you forgive, I also forgive. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake. It's later than followed on the promise that they shall be comforted. 
in Greek, it's written in there. And this Greek word is just related to the word parakletos, or Holy Spirit. And as usually translated as counselor or comforter in the Gospel of John. The paraclete is a helper or comforter in times of need. The word meek in verse 5 marks gentleness of strength and disciplined energy. The meek person is not defensive or self-important. This person is teachable and submissive. They're submissive to the proper authority. The repentant person submits to rule of the king. Let's go on down to verse 12. For great, in Greek means polis, which means much or many, is your reward or misthos in heaven. The word misthos is sometimes used to refer to wages or our compensation for our work. For instance, Paul says, now to one who works, wages, mythos, are reckoned as a gift, but as something due. In 1 Timothy 5.18, he says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. And then adds on, the worker is worthy of his reward. But most frequently in the New Testament, Mistos refers to spiritual rewards received for faithful discipleship. For instance, Jesus says in Matthew 10:41, "Whoever welcomes a prophet in the name of a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And whoever welcomes a righteous person in the name of a righteous person will receive the reward of the righteous." Paul goes on to say that our spiritual work will be tested by the fire on the day of the Lord, and then adds, if what has been built on the foundation survives, the builder will receive a reward. In 1 Corinthians 3.14. In Matthew verse 12, Jesus promises persecuted disciples a heavenly reward. Heaven is the dwelling place of God, the angels, and those who are faithful. A heavenly existence is both present and future. Jesus didn't tell us, but he also modeled what he calls for us in the Beatitudes. You see, he is a servant in Mark 10. He is meek in Matthew 11. He is mournful in Matthew 11. And he is merciful in Mark 10. Those who have accepted Jesus have received the Holy Spirit and have begun their heavenly citizenship. And that will continue from now until the eternity. And we do not have to wait until eternity to see the kingdom because it's in our midst. Jesus proclaims the kingdom of heaven is at hand, right? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom is any place where God reigns. The kingdom of heaven comes near whenever a person chooses to serve God. Jesus' disciples, with one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom, This world rewards selfish, aggressive behavior, but Jesus blesses the poor in spirit, those who mourn, and the meek. Hey, I hope you receive this message today. I hope that it helped you to see uh, the discipleship model and steps and see different aspects that God's calling you to come closer to Him. And so let's go to prayer as we're closing out today. Father, thank you for the opportunity to open up your word, to study a little bit more, and to be able to understand your heart. God, we know that you came with love intention, with love as the intentionality 
to supersede the law that was in place before so that it's not a rigorous, structured, strict relationship with you, but it is fluid in love and in joy and in peace. So God, let us not let these words sit on us heavily as the law, but heavily in love, your love, for your desire for us to come closer to you is so great. So God, just reveal in us what it is that you want us to take our next steps. Put some people in our path to be able to disciple. Help us to grow closer to you in these days, weeks, months, and years ahead. Now, Father, this message may have just touched on someone that does not have a relationship with you or is not certain that they have a relationship with you. And so if that's you, um, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, will you just pray with me? Say, Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you for your words. Thank you for the opportunity to hear your heart. Jesus, I don't know everything about you, but I like what I'm hearing. So today, I just want to say yes to you. I want to follow you fully, wholeheartedly. I want to be your disciple. So I'm going to say that I believe that you died and you rose again. Jesus, I'm going to call you my Lord and my Savior, and I'm going to trust you. I'm going to seek you and to follow you in all my days and in all of my ways. And while I don't know what it all looks like, I know you're going to reveal it as time goes on. So thank you, Jesus, for your love. In Jesus' name. Now, Father, for every person that prayed that prayer, for every person that is hearing and something from you to take those next steps, God, I ask that you comfort them, that you'll lead them, that you'll guide them, that you'll put people in front of them so that they can connect, they can disciple one another, they can grow closer to you. And Father, I also just want to lift up our nation, our world, where we are right now with the racial injustice, with um, anxiety, stress, uh, the list goes on. God, we need your kingdom come. We need your peace. We need your power, your presence. Father, there are so many broken people out there. Help us to reach out to those that are broken around us. Help us to be your world changers here on earth with our hands and feet that you've given us. And help us just to trust you more in the midst of everything. Help us to focus on you, to trust you, to love you, and to follow you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, guys, it was so good to be with you today. Don't go just yet. Got a few announcements. Uh, we were working through a number of things as a church. We are getting ready to uh, locate a facility, and we're going to have a facility this fall, I have a feeling, and uh, someplace that we can rent and come in on a, uh, on a Sunday for our gatherings. And I would just love for you to be a part of it. You know, I've said it a, a couple times, but we need a few more people to sign up, to be a part of our, our launch team and to help serve, to love on kids, to help set up, to help greet our guests as they come in. So if that's you, if you are interested or you wanna know more, click on the connection card, fill it out. Let us know your intents, your interest. I'm also gonna be posting my uh, Calendly out there so you can book an appointment directly with me. We can grab a cup of coffee, do a Zoom call, meet in person, however you wanna do it. Um, we can figure out a time. I would love to tell you more about Emerge Church or just go back to last week's message. Uh, over the 4th of July weekend, I gave the vision of Emerge Church is on July 5th. I laid it out, gave the vision, the mission. Go watch that. Take 17 minutes, I think it was, and uh, hear my heart, where we are, where we're going. 
and uh, it's going to be an amazing journey. God is calling us to do this. So excited to do it with you and for those that aren't even part of this yet and praying for all those that are lost, that they'll have a place to call home, that they'll be able to walk into a relationship with Jesus. And so if you would love to be a part of that, if you'd love to see many people come to Christ, we'd love for you to have to be a part of it and be with us. We'd love to have you. So make sure you fill out that connection card. And um, before we go, it, it's time for the offering. Thank you so much for your generosity. You know, with you being able to fuel this ministry, we're able to look at a facility right now. Um, I mentioned just a couple weeks ago, it, it's going to be around $4,000 a month just to rent the facility. And um, can't do that without your help in that. So if you are feeling called and led to give towards this ministry, thank you so much. Uh, and to give back your tithes, your portion that God has called us to give back, um, we greatly appreciate it. We also turn around and give it back out into the community through food banks and missionaries. And um, it's, it's not all coming to Emerge Church. It's coming in and going out as well. And uh, the goal is to ultimately give more and more away so that we can impact more for Jesus, to make him known, to make him loved, and for everyone to see his love. So thank you for being a part of it. You can see the other announcements, kids, um, programming is listed in there. Junior high and youth group is tonight on Sunday night. Uh, make sure you jump on. And also, Emily and I are going to be on for the Zoom virtual lobby. If you want to come meet us and some of the launch team and some of the others that are joining us online, would love to have you be a part of that. Just spend a few minutes with us. Jump on right after this. I'll be sitting there waiting to hear from you and to see you. And um, thank you so much for joining us today. I want you guys to have a fantastic week. We'll see you back next week. Do me a favor. Click a thumbs up, a like, a share. Help us get Emerge Church's name out and around in our community. Um, that's one of the easiest ways that you can help us is to be able to just engage with us that way on social media and share out our name um, so that we can just have more of a knowledge of who we are as we're getting closer to a physical location. So thanks so much for joining us. I'll stop talking. Love you all, and uh, we'll see you next week. Bye.